And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Seb stafford Blow. Hi, Seb. Hi, Joe. Hello there. How are you? Hello, right back. Uh, I'm a left back. And also joined by uh, the purveyor of all truth, it's JJ Bull the Bullet. I'm always right. You are always right. And yeah. JJ is very busy today. Really so busy. he's really already busy. told us how busy he is. Very, very We will busy. have to, if this podcast isn't as long as normal... I am sorry it's about just, that, I but just it is because JJ's very busy. Why are we discussing things we're going to see on the podcast? Do one and a half speed so that we can... One and a half speed, yeah. I think we'll try to go through as quickly as possible. No, we're going through, we're going to see the podcast poor, earlier. Poor JJ is very busy. Really busy. With his job as Under a fun-time content creator. Okay, let's begin uh, by uh, looking through all the things we're going to discuss. Double time, double time. Uh, Champions League final. Now, listen, for people, uh, listeners who want to hear lots and lots about the football, we did speak for nearly an hour on Sunday about that. We did a live stream. The video of that is available on the TIFO IRL YouTube channel. So if you want to hear lots of in-depth discussion about the football itself, we'll talk a little bit about it today, uh, but it'll be a a sort of, you know, a kind of Cliff Notes version of that. Then go over to the TIFO IRL YouTube channel and watch that video. And also you can see our uh, long and self-indulgent goodbye to Alex Stewart at the end of that. Uh, video as well, which was nice to do. Uh, but we'll talk a little bit about the Champions League final, albeit mostly, I think, what happened outside the ground, uh, because that's something that we did not discuss on Sunday. Other than that, we'll talk a little bit about Thibaut Courtois. We'll talk about uh, Ivan Perisic, who uh, maybe is going to Spurs on a free. That's interesting. Uh, Aston Villa have made a signing. Of course, the playoff, the Championship playoff final happened as well. We'll be talking a little bit shortly to Nick Miller, the millman, a big Nottingham Forest fan, who's going to talk to us about Forest as they will be joining the Premier League for the first time in 23 years. Very exciting. Mane to leave Liverpool. That was big news. And of course, Ralph Rangnick, who could have seen it coming, is not going to be a consultant. Well, we'll discuss what that means and more on today's TIFO Football Podcast. And if you like to discuss and more, then you should really visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where and more really takes the form of quality content. That's right, isn't it, JJ? Yes, I'm watching videos of Bubakar Kamara right now. Okay, can you find those on The Athletic? Uh, well, you can find detailed analysis of him and what he's going to do at Aston Villa mm. under Steven Gerrard's employ, mm. uh, which would be a very useful thing to do. Yeah. And I think specifically from this podcast, what I'd recommend reading is the really very well written and reported article about the Champions League final outside what was going on there. Who wrote that one? Simon Hughes and more yeah. wrote it. Okay, uh, I went through it this morning. It's... It made me actually angry. Yeah, okay. Isn't it? Well, we'll discuss that. Can I also, just to say, as a, a again, an advert for The Athletic, whenever uh, an article at The Athletic has an, an author and more after it, you know it's good because all the good people have put stuff in there. Yeah. And that's why it works. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Okay, fine. Um, I will leave you now in the warm hands and the cool embrace of a tired Sebastian Stafford Bloor on the first day of his holiday from work. Seb with us in spirit. Wait. And body. And I'm, bo- I'm, I am actually here. And body. Are you actually on holiday right now? Yeah. This yeah. is day one of his holiday. Yeah. This is the kind of commitment that this guy, you're just complaining that you're busy all the time. This guy's on holiday right now and he's still <laughs> busy. I have wasted four hours of my holiday. I've scheduled like, every hour today so I can get everything done in time. Shh, it's okay. Four hours it's okay. and one minute. Don't worry. No. When have you got to be finished by? Um, Let's begin discussing uh, with the uh, the Champions League final. Now, some stuff that isn't funny is the stuff that did happen outside of the ground. It was quite confusing. Uh, we were all sat here in the office watching it together. My initial reaction was to just be infuriated by the delay. 
But uh, it became apparent as we read the news and we saw the reports on, on Twitter, Seb, that something very serious was happening outside the ground and it was causing quite a lot of confusion. Yeah, because you, you had these two dueling narratives. So obviously we first heard the reports of trouble with fans getting in. Then it was announced pretty quickly and put on the, the stadium big screen that it was because fans had been late arriving. And then they soon had that got out into the public. Then you had all the people who were there, some of the journalists who were there, a lot of people that were kind of outside the ground. No Sky Sports had a team there as well, defeating that narrative and saying, no, this is what's happened. These are the things which have actually taken place. And also, most effectively, they actually had interviews with people who were in the crowd at the same time. And there's a, there's a couple of talking heads uh, interviews that were done with people who were uh, waiting to have their ticket checked. You know, they were being interviewed through uh, metal fencing. It was very scary. It was also, I found the difference between the kind of the public truth and what was actually happening quite frightening, just because it was such an obvious attempt to kind of defeat a little bit of a dangerous situation and mm -hmm. to, to kind of discredit what people were saying in the crowd. And I, in that kind of scenario, you think back to a world before social media. So 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you don't have that privilege of people being able to correct things as they're being incorrectly reported. Yes. So no sooner had this got out into the public domain, in the previous generation, as soon as you see someone of that on the big screen in a stadium, in a Champions League final with everybody watching, that becomes the truth. And that is quite frightening. It's, I mean, it's worth pointing out, you described there, Seb, like, you know, we live in the age of social media where it's uh, possible for, for everyone with a phone to sort of live report on a situation, particularly when the the structure in place has got something wrong or the official line is inaccurate. But of course, it was Liverpool fans attending here and there were lots of people talking about uh, the fear of a crush outside. There were people who were very frightened even once they've got inside the stadium about leaving afterwards. There were many, many descriptions of people who were uh, fans inside the ground who basically couldn't enjoy the game for fear of what had just happened or what might happen again afterwards. And whilst it, it's, it's obviously not the same thing, like reading those things, it does bring to mind the events of Hillsborough. And of course, it's the, you know, the fan base that are there. It will have been traumatic for some of the people that were there too. I think that's the thing that's shocking about it is that the official line was so different to what was clearly happening and what everybody else who was there was saying. I, I found it quite strange and very unsettling how quickly that official line was parroted by the French government. You had a French interior minister tweeting that this was essentially badly behaved British fans, which is nothing but just naked, virulent prejudice. And it's a really, really poor thing for a government minister th to say. I don't know why he said it. I don't know why he tweeted it out. But very clearly, that is not supported by the facts that have been reported everywhere. Mm. Well, JJ, you said you read the piece this morning and it made you angry. What, were you sort of praise it for us? What was it that made you angry about it? Uh, it sounds terrifying to be part yeah. of it. I don't want to ever go to the Stade de France having read it. Uh, maybe that's a big overreaction. But I don't think so. I think that's very fair. It's well, it's absolutely a few terrifying. things about the Stade de France, right? It's in a terrible area. Yeah. So I don't know if it, the original idea was to help. Like a lot of new stadium developments are uh, not designed to, but they think there'll be redevelopment of an area to... I suppose gentrify it is what the sort mm -hmm. of th thought is, um, whatever your thoughts on gentrification are, whatever. Uh, but this area is like one of the suburbs of Paris, lots of, well, in the piece it talks about lots of local gangs literally hiding in bushes to jump out. If anyone they reckon they could outnumber or were more powerful than, they would, they were going around and thieving things and the police couldn't do anything or they couldn't or they wouldn't. And so what you had was lots of police trying to police the British fans or Liverpool fans, whoever, whoever they are, going through these places. The, what sounds like a lack of organisation or, or thought or care for the human people walking around there, blocking off clear access points with police vans. Then there's footage of Liverpool fans scanning their ticket at a ticket thing, going through it, and then getting pepper sprayed. Mm. Like, and it's a calm process. The other point is that they're being put through corridors, like they're bottlenecking people basically, which is obviously the thing you don't want to do with crowds. That's what it's like. Yeah, there were photos of underneath a bridge, but there were three uh, police vans parked along one side. Yeah. So the, the, it was suddenly a much more narrow walkway. There was a single bottleneck for, I think, 20,000 20, people. Yeah. And that's the thing. And, uh, and then it starts to crush and the police trying to push them back. And then the police are coming from the back and trying to push them towards this gate. And what you have is because they they're struggling with the policing of it, Lots of what's described in this piece is locals, so a lot of them are convinced it was local gangs or organised crime people 
that's what they're going to call criminals, organised criminals, basically gangs coming around and trying to get in to either watch the game or to try and pickpocket and mm. just basically thieve is what they're trying to do. A lot of these people that are in there, I'm not sure if everyone's trying to access it, whatever. So they're getting crushed towards this bit, bottlenecking. That's not good. A lot of witnesses described they didn't know where they were. They thought they were under an underpass or something. They couldn't tell. And then all these terrifying like descriptions of people starting to have panic attacks or whatever because they, you know, you, big crowds... No one, no one likes that really but they're pushed up against the fence the fence's not there I've read that at one point there was a one one gate was supposed to be open which wasn't open until about 20 minutes before kickoff, which has had a bunch like 10,000 people or something meant to go through that one bit <coughs> and the, even the planning of it the Liverpool um, what do you call it the fan party bit what do you call it the, the fan, par- park. fan park fan park so that part was one side of the stadium and they had to cross like a dual carriageway to get to it, something crazy like that. Yeah. And the Real Madrid bit was much easier to get to along the way. So the planning of that wasn't great. And then there's all that stuff that happens. They start to get crushed. There's children being tear gassed and pepper sprayed. It's just not like, I don't understand. Because like police are real people. They're yeah. not like evil characters in well, a it's cartoon. It's pointing out just at this point, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but there, there was of course like a, a small delegation of, of police from Merseyside who yeah. accompanied as well. And the, the first uh, hand accounts from, from uh, or at least one of those policemen that I've read has said that the Liverpool fans uh, on the whole behaved themselves extremely well in a very difficult situation. And again, like all counter to the, to the official line. Like, you lots of reporting that thing, sorry, sir, but a lot of things is uh, in that article, which I thoroughly recommend you read because it's a really good way it's to get great. through it. Yeah, yeah, properly, much more structured than the rambling thing I'm doing here. But the police were getting constantly involved in battles with all these like untoward people who come and joined in the queues and were causing the havoc, like trying to jump the fence and whatever. And then they're also trying to like that's so distressing. There's lots of people who talked to who'd had their phone nicked, which had their ticket on, so they couldn't get in. Yeah, mm. like it just sounds awful. Like I, I just uh, I saw it. a Twitter thread on Sunday morning from a journalist, and um, forgive me, I forget who it was, but he outlined a situation in which he had been filming some of the things, some of the actions of the the local police, and what the Liverpool fans were being subjected to. And he described being uh, frog marched into some kind of cabin, porter cabin type situation, having his phone checked by French police officers. This guy, or the, these officers apparently scrolled through like pictures of his wife and kids and pets and stuff like that to make sure that he didn't have any footage of what was happening. That's indefensible. Like that's that's like it's about as clear uh, an instance of suppression as you can get. That's, that's a uh, weird part of like modern history. They're talking about like social media things. Yeah, it's just, uh, what are you doing? What are you, what are you, what are you, what are you trying to... Yeah, you could lie about this for the past, you can't now. Uh, territory. That's outrageous. Mm. Like you, you're trying to do that because you're, you're trying to stop someone documenting what is actually happening yeah. and the behavior of a body that you are a representative of. That's murky territory. Well, like we said at the, at the beginning, right, for all of its uh, downsides, thank God for social media, because this happens in an era when it's not straightforward for the powers yeah. that be to get away with pretending that they haven't done something wrong. And I think, you know, what was really interesting about it is is the message on the big screen inside the stadium changed a couple of times, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that, it, that whoever's strategy it was to think blaming it on late Liverpool fans uh, made sense was very stupid to show that to thousands of people inside of a stadium if you're trying to keep people calm because everyone inside the stadium knows it's taken them four hours to get inside and therefore they know that that's nonsense yeah, but, because there were huge crowds outside. It's not about people it's arriving late. Like so they blame Liverpool fans yeah. first and then they try to, you know, then they try to blame all the fans or those big delays or they blame yeah. the ticket machines or whatever and then there's lots of descriptions of, I don't know, I mean, you know. They see which lie people will swallow. At what point is it like UEFA's poor organisation that is to blame for it or like the poor uh, policing on, on the part of the local police that is to blame for it? Like, at what point is it the, the system that is to blame for it instead of like some of the people involved in it that uh, must have done something wrong. Yeah, it's, it's just, weird, isn't it? It's, it's like everyone's passing blame for it, but yeah. it's not like one person's overarching thing. It yeah. is... This is the Champions the, League final yeah. in yeah. Paris, a major European city. And, and and this is how badly it goes wrong. Apparently there's there was no excuse for it. All the stewards are meant to be really young, apparently. Like So there's hardly any experience with the stewarding. And there was, I think, one part where there's like 12 stewards trying to take tickets for 20,000 people coming through that crowd. 
How can you get to a point when you're trying to bottleneck that many people through that with that? I don't understand then, it. Then there are questions like, uh, you know, were they trying to cut corners? How much money did they think they could save? Like, why weren't there more staff available? Why wasn't the organisation better? How, it's not like uh, there hasn't been a Champions League final every year for the last yeah. however so many years. This came up in the discussions around some of the chaos in French football this year. It's been a huge stewarding crisis as a result of the pandemic. So when the pandemic happened, stewarding is not a full-time job. It's kind of a, a weird extension of the hospitality industry. And when the pandemic happened and football shut down, a lot of these people migrated away from their mm-hmm. stewarding jobs and they found better jobs elsewhere. When football reopened and football tried to pay them, you know, minimum wage again or, you know, a lesser wage than they were earning elsewhere, they couldn't be enticed back. I have no idea whether that was complicit in this. Well, maybe it but was. I mean, been, I think French football has been rife with some of the worst scenes I've seen in European football for a long time, including on Sunday night. So Saint Etienne went down, and the pictures that followed their relegation belonged uh, in a war zone. It was terrible. I don't know if anybody's been hurt. I hope not. But I kind of naively thought that we were past this stuff, you know, past the obfuscation and the passing of blame and the kind of the attitude which accompanies football fans everywhere. Like we've had the problems at Euro 2020. And I think one of the one of the problems I have with the UEFA messaging or the messaging of the, the French government is that you know what you're doing because you know that there is a certain type of person who is so driven by tribalism that they will just accept what you say. And yeah. you'll, you'll see it now. If you go on social media today, tomorrow, whenever, you'll see people describing the events or as Simon Hughes has done, um, writing down and, and uh, reporting them for The Athletic. Mm-hmm. And you'll see people going, yeah, but, you know, football fans... Hey, listen, There'll be people now yeah. also like delighting in the fact that the English media is covering this more than the football and they'll yeah. be saying, well, of course they are because uh, the English team lost and therefore they focus all their attention on what happened off yeah. the pitch, which is why I remind people that we spoke exclusively about the football for an hour on Sunday. Please do go and enjoy that episode. But uh, that's it's not what it's not about a, at all. It's not a tribal issue. It's, a, it's an issue with authority and it's mm-hmm. an issue with attitudes towards football fans, towards football, and this kind of idea of what is an acceptable way to treat people. Sure. Like, you're talking about tear gassing children. Like, it's just... Yeah. I, I, can, I can't, I don't have the vocabulary for that. You can link just, it, we didn't we talk about this, it, it, um, it came out of the back of this, I wasn't really totally aware of it. I think I read a few things when it happened, but the, the Rangers-Frankfurt final, yeah. a lot of the Rangers fans were similarly like put into very small areas to go places. But they had their battery packs for phones taken off of them, like a security measure, and they also denied them water or food, and they were in 34 degree heat. So that old people going about in that. And this is, if you're in a crowd and you're in a bit of a panic, what you need is space and water, basically, yeah. just to calm it down. And they're denying people like basic access, that sort of stuff. I do, it's it's weird. I don't... You also, you know, it happens to football fans. It's weird, isn't it? So one of the first times I went to football in Germany, like one of the things I, ne- I noticed, one of the differences was that um, it feels, and this was an isolated event, I don't know if it's reflective of German football as a whole, but I remember going to it and thinking, hey, it's kind of, it's got this day out attitude to it, which you don't really find in English football. Mm. Like when you go to English football today, as a fan, a lot of places you feel like you're doing something wrong by going to the game. You feel like you're part of something subversive, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. And that's a- It does feel a bit, when you walk within a big crowd, it does feel a bit like you're about to invade a city or something. Yeah, but this, is, this is the like thing. What, what happens in this situation? People look at you with, with, uh, with, uh, with fear. Maybe, but what, what JJ's just described there about um, people being denied water or food or whatever or space, um, what tends to happen is you'll see, uh, particularly on social media, and this is kind of the good, bad problem with it, is all of those concerns will will be sort of overshadowed by, oh, someone's posted a video where one absolute dickhead is, is not behaving himself. And then that one person becomes reflective of an entire fan base. And then in a lot of people's minds, what they're subjected to kind of becomes fair game, which is just mm. nonsense because in the same way that, that that guy that shoved a firework up his ass became kind of indicative of, of what happened at European Championship final. <laughs> Do you remember the picture? No, I don't remember okay. that. It's very famous. But all this might be a lot of geopolitics things. I mean, you have to think what people think of English or British people abroad. Like we are seeing it from our centric part here because this is where you know we live in this country and this is yeah. what we see and the European media but you'd be you might know more of this you see how yeah. what the reaction is because then like my thought when I go on holiday and there's a bunch of British people there <laughs> so I don't want to be near to them I feel bad yeah about going on I don't holiday. I mean I get to say I'm Scottish so I can get away from a lot yeah. of it that really genuinely helps but then I wonder whether the policing of it is like a no-nonsense approach they see what happened at Wembley at the Euros final or something like that. So their their strategy is to be 
full on like hard line, don't accept any nonsense from what we know British people have done in the past. Yeah, but then I, I agree with you and I, I live in Europe and I probably am a little bit too aware of the English thing and the attitude towards English people and I probably overcompensate for it at times. But at the same time, like if you have a policing strategy for a major event, you cannot bring in your own political prejudice into it because you're dealing with people. And yes, you may object to the way Great Britain has carried itself in the international community over the last decade. Fair enough, I do too. At the same time, you can't put people in danger just because of that. It's mm -hmm. not acceptable. And also we go back to this point about, right, if you, if you have a really draconian policing strategy, then fine, but at the same time, you shouldn't be trying to delete footage of it from journalists' phones. Uh, you shouldn't also be trying to describe a version of events which just isn't true into the you know kind of trying to uh, leak it into the international media these two things are not related and you've got a group of football fans who've gone over to france for what should be the highlight of any fans life really european cup final fantastic and there are people who are talking about i don't want to go again they're all, you're getting all mugged on the way out as well. Again, mugged on the way out, their safety is being threatened. Can you imagine if you were a mother or father and you had a couple of small kids with you or an elderly relative? Because like, what are we saying? Oh, you know, they shouldn't be there. You can only really go to football if you're, you know, 6'4 and 35 years old in perfect health because otherwise yeah. you might get kettled and pepper sprayed and tear gassed. Come on. Do you know what These are people. Do you know what a big way to round it up is by doing some of the questions, because obviously the police would have a right of reply or whoever would have a right of reply yeah. on written things. So the athletics in the article, the questions that they've asked the police, which they haven't come back for the French police. Why was the decision taken to have a checkpoint at the end of the underpass at Mail de Lipse? Le Lipse? Why were there no signposts indicating access plans on access plans on the underpass so the fan didn't know where they were going, whether they were being funneled? Why did the police feel it necessary to use space in the underpass to park their vans, which is the thing they have to go through? Why did Stuart's at that point not have access to QR machines? That's extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, that's just one part of it, yeah. Will you talk me through that? How do you, how do you scan... Sorry, go on, Jay. So, well, it's the thing, I don't know exactly, because it's this is the kind of thing they're asking the police, but this is... I mean, maybe the French police would come, but I don't know what they're going to say. I can't actually... I can't say what they're going to say, because that's not <laughs> legally on. With their QR codes on the tickets, is that what that means? Well, there were people whose tickets weren't working. So there was that thing that was going around that uh, people had fake tickets. But Andy Robertson yes. said, well, that's not true because I know people trying to get through. I've given a ticket I've given to my a, friend yeah. and it wasn't fake. Well, this is the thing. Like, There's actual, I mean, people, high level people involved in this. And, and when you have all people in your social media videos and you go, oh, well, that's just a bunch of people. When This is the, the problem with, I guess, society is that when you get people who are actually of note, like Gary Lineker mm. <laughs> involved in it, suddenly go, oh, right, Gary Lineker's there. Oh, well, can't really hide from this now. People with many followers or whatever, sure. they can answer yeah. these sort of things. But they, I led to believe from uh, reading this that the people just couldn't scan their tickets. And so then that became a problem. Like other things, like why did the congestion begin two hours and 30 minutes before kickoff? Uh, why one hour before kickoff did Stuarts give up on searches and let everyone waiting through at the same time? Mm -hmm. So then they get to the gate and that's where uh, the crushes started. Yeah, that's yeah. very frightening. Uh, but that's again, probably like inexperienced from the young Stuarts just trying to let people through and then yeah. the police pushing them to probably try and get them try, in. Trying to do what they thought was the right thing. This is it. Which is another, another point I wanted to come, uh, I'll let you carry on JJ, but I just wanted to say as well, like obviously people's first-hand accounts uh, will, will lead them to their own conclusions about this but another thing that will i imagine if it hasn't already happened will start to happen at some point is that the powers that be will also start to blame the stewards or will also start to blame individual police officers yeah. uh, when again the responsibility lies at the top please carry on jj uh, why one hour before kickoff did stewards yeah that's the people going through there to what extent did that letting everyone through at the same time cause problems specifically at gates y and z and then why were the gates closed at this point of the ground an hour and 10 minutes for kickoff? They're sending folk through and shutting mm -hmm. it down. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the big ones are, why did the police decide to use tear gas and pepper spray on children? Are you aware of reports suggesting organised gangs attempted to steal from fans leaving the stadium? The French sports minister talked of 30 to 40,000 fans with fake tickets. How many fake tickets were seized? That's, yeah. It's yeah. I, I want really to see know what to say. I, I mean, if they, if they reply to it at all, I mean, this is the thing, they can just try and they don't have to reply. This is their right of reply, but they don't have to reply to this. They can just make it go away and then... Mm. I saw footage actually just before kickoff Seems to work of modern a, um, a local, I th I th probably a teenager, looked pretty young. He was French. He, he got over the perimeter fencing in the side of France and he tried to run to the ground 
and um, there's a Liverpool fan who stopped him from going in. That's the only instance I, I've seen on video of someone trying to break into the ground and trying to force their way in, mm. like a la Euro 2020. People are going to um, do that, though. I would say, I mean, like at any fenced event, people try to climb the fences. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's not specific to football at all. It's also something that would be expected by security and should be considered ahead of time by security because it happens Every time you put a fence up around something that's interesting, hundred percent, people are going to try and climb the fence. You have to yeah. be. That's part of policing or yeah. being security at an event like that. It's uh, okay. Well, can I uh, yeah. talk about something a little less depressing? Should we direct people towards what I assume will be the Athletics' continually excellent coverage of this? Yeah, um, I sure think that, that, what was the yeah, the Simon Hughes piece, uh, JJ? What's it called? Special report: the Champions League final horror. It was starting to crush. Yeah. We were shaking. Uh, for subscribers, it's worth reading that. It's worth reading that. Very interesting. Okay, a quick thing. Um, Jurgen Klopp uh, obviously won the Champions League in 2019 after losing in 2018. Mm. He was not morose after the game, oh. apparently. He was asked, and then he asked in his post-match interview, where's the final next year, Istanbul? And when he had a positive response, he told the Liverpool fans, book the hotel. Love which it. is quite a nice uh, yeah. it's quite a nice reaction to losing in a final like that, isn't it? To, uh, to suddenly be uh, you know excited about... Winning the next one. Yeah, it's just good control of your supporters group sort of buries the fact that you've lost. No one really cares anymore. Uh, I think a lot of it would have been overshadowed by that stuff we've just talked about for the last ages. Mm -hmm. uh, but the hotel taking on maybe a slightly different significance. Yeah. Whether people will want to or not. I'm sure they will. I'm sure people are smart enough to, to decide for themselves whether it's good to actually make the transaction. Sure. But like as an attitude, it's great. It's exactly what the situation needed too. A bit of positivity, obviously in light of the defeat, but also some of the things we've just been talking about. Mm-hmm. It's the right way to, to think. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, a quick uh, bit on the game, JJ. Um, the first thing to say would be that uh, Liverpool dominated possession of the game. Uh, they created many more chances and opportunities than Real Madrid did. I mean, like, significantly more. The XG wasn't as different as that. But, you know, I think if you played this game... Hundreds of times, maybe Liverpool win 80 or 85 times. Do you think that's mm, fair to say? No, I've been thinking about it more. So I thought immediately after they'd replayed it, I think Liverpool would be better. I think this is the weird thing with Real Madrid is that I think they sort of had control of it, even though it looked like they didn't at any point. There's something yeah. about it. I can't. I agree with that in yeah. this in this specific game, for sure. A few Liverpool players didn't play very well. I think this sort of, it's very harsh, but specific defensive errors. In fact, there's another piece in the Athletic. Which, this is basically just a plug for the Athletic whole thing. That is what Tito is. Because you know <laughs> yeah. they had uh, Ben Mee, and um, they, basically there was an article that the uh, Athletic got some actual football people in mm. to, to talk about them, watch the game. Ben watch Mee, the game with them and then... And then ben Mee was kind of damning on uh, Alexander-Arnold saying his really? body positions and then him and none of the other people who were there. Frank Nuble, former West Ham forward. Is it Colchester now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a striker. The coach as well. Yeah, she's the head of the, uh, one of the heads of the academy, I think, at like QPR. Yep. But they were watching it and they were very, like, very harsh and, well, maybe not harsh, but they were very analytical and critical of Alexander Arnold's positioning. We cover it a little bit in the video that we did on Tifo IRL. How he's, he's, he, he does spot where Vinicius Jr. is, but it's little tiny errors like body positioning it doesn't allow him to maybe be able to clear up at the last part that's how goals are scored though exactly there's always I mean, like, someone making an error and Van Dijk doesn't go out quick enough to get the ball it's, it's very rare a goal is scored particularly at such a high level where no one on the other team could have done anything about it at all it's because they're humans and they make mistakes like yeah. It's yeah. and it's not even mistakes otherwise football would be very boring it's an imperfection it's not a mistake yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's exactly that's the it's thing it's not the perfect thing and it might have worked at another time like sometimes things just fall into place but it didn't, yeah. things didn't fall into place in Liverpool I thought Alexander-Arnold was actually a bit was not his best in that game he was trying things like almost when you start trying too hard things don't work as well it becomes not muscle memory it becomes mm. like you're trying to do it and like you hit a a cross shot I think he, on another day he would have put into the right area but just sort of squaffed it yeah um, squaffed yeah it's a good word that isn't it that is good yeah I All think right. um, I, I think you were right I think um, we talked about this again at the time but Liverpool they just felt a little bit off at times they did create a high volume of chances a lot of that was because of Real Madrid of them, the way they were playing because they were they were yeah. sitting deep a lot of depth between the centre backs and the forwards a lot of space in the midfield which they weren't filling because the midfielders were going wide to be able to receive the ball and a lot of that is will be tactical and sort of talking about it. I think a lot of it isn't. It'll just be instinctive from players like Kroos and Modric. This is the problem with tactical analysis of this stuff. Often it's not anything the manager or the coaches have said. The coaches might have identified that you might find some space here, so just know it. But Modric knows. Like another mistake is that Robertson goes to Modric to pull him out of position for the move that leads up to the goal. 
But Robertson does the right thing by going for him just because Modric is amazing and then works out very quickly that if he just goes 10 yards deeper, he drags him out. Can you imagine how difficult it would be? Like when, when, it, when it started attacks, they always have kind of built-in protections against the counter-attacks in their movement forward. Now, can you imagine if you turn the ball over and you turn the ball over to Tony Cruz or Luka Modric and those are two players who like, yeah, they're really great passes of the ball, but they also have every pass you could possibly play. Like Modric, there isn't a pass in the game that Modric doesn't have. Like he's like a, you know, a golfer with, uh, you know, a hundred clubs in his bag. Yeah. So how do you What you're saying is down? even if he came up against Gandalf, he would still He pass. would still find like a nice sort of raking outside of the, the, the boot 30 yard or across the pitch. You and shall so pass. He always, always has an exit. And... Um, <laughs> And that's going to be very difficult. And so, like, when you talk about, oh, you know, didn't do this right, didn't do that, you have to defer to what Real Madrid are good at. Yeah. I can see Modric being in Lord of the Rings as well. He has a little bit of a, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like he'd be one of the main characters. I don't think he would. I think, um, do you know the, the sort of long haired men that hang around with Faramir? You know, Faramir? Faramir of Gondor. What does he do? Doesn't matter, but some of the listeners will know. I could see Modric being a part of that, of that rabble. Anyway. Alex um, Stewart leaves and the ratios immediately Seb's seeing YouTube me. comments in his head there yeah fine but anyway we talked about the football a lot on the YouTube live stream so if you want to uh, to hear us or see us do that you can go back and watch that next up I would like to discuss after a break because I think we've been recording for a very long time it's break time when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, what a break that was. A lovely break. The playoff final. The big money game, as it's known in the important high circles of society. The game of big money. Huddersfield nil, one Nottingham Forest. Very exciting. And to kick things off, I'd like to talk to Nick Miller, the millman, uh, who is a, a long suffering Norwich. Norwich? No. Nottingham. Tottingham Forest fan. And uh, is unsurprisingly absolutely delighted this morning. Uh, so let's talk to Nick. Nick Miller, how do you feel after yesterday's game? As a Forest fan yourself, are you pleased? Uh, on balance, I am pleased, yes. I feel a very, very deep sense of contentment that is born from 23 years of uh, frustration and shambles and various other forms of indignity. That's nice. 23 years out of the Premier League is a, is a very long time. It was starting to feel a bit like uh, Nottingham Forest were never co- going to quite make it, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's always interested me that people kind of my age and around the same, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit younger, definitely older, think of Forest as a Premier League team in all but name. But we've been in, away for so long that that's just completely... You know, it doesn't. It doesn't really make any particular logical sense, and it just has started to feel very much like well, for quite a long time, really, started to feel like we are a, a football league team, and this is our kind of natural level. You know, sort of mid-table in the championship. So there was an element. Fans of every club say this kind of thing, but it did before the game yesterday. It did just sort of feel like winning a playoff final and getting promoted was just not the sort of thing that Forest did. Um, so the huge relief when it actually uh, went the right way was uh, phenomenal. Palpable. Yes, lovely. Well, I think lots of people will have seen the game yesterday and enjoyed Nottingham Forest within it. Um, If they're anything like me, though, they won't have watched any Nottingham Forest at all for the rest of the season, or maybe ever. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the team as it stands at the moment? And and we obviously don't know exactly what it'll look like going into into the Premier League season because the transfer window uh, is yet to open but tell us about the team at the moment who are the standout players who do you like who do you think is going to fare well 
team as it stands at the moment, well, standout players, um, most people I think will know about Brennan Johnson, who has, has been Forest's top scorer this season. Um, he has kind of settled as uh, one of a front two, but he can play in a lot of different positions. Jed Spence, um, he does a lot of excellent work with uh, Johnson down the right-hand side. He's a kind of right wing back that is currently on loan from Middlesbrough, and I think who I think everyone at Forest hopes will be signing permanently. He's um, very good. Other key players, we, we play a sort of kind of version of a three-four-three, and the two central midfielders, uh, James Garner, who's on loan from Manchester United, and Ryan Yates, who's a kind of youth product who was you know much maligned by fans. Before last, before this season, really, and who has improved a huge amount, they're kind of vitally important in in midfield. How Forest will look next season, I'm not sure. It's not this system has kind of worked for the majority of the time that Steve Cooper has been in charge, but. The, one of the good things about his kind of early days, anyway, is that Forrest are quite tactically flexible. So it's not necessarily a, a given that Forrest will definitely play this way and will definitely, you know, sign players specifically to fit this system. I mean, you know, in in terms of signing players, who knows? The, the one of the interesting things is that because you know three or four of Forrest's key players have been loan signings, it will cost quite a lot to. Uh, sign those permanently James Garner won't be signing permanently at best he'll be loaned back from Manchester United but you know, for example to keep Jed Spence and Keenan Davis will probably cost you know 25 million at least so you kind of got to spend a decent chunk of a promoted club's budget just to stand still I don't think the the owners will be shy of spending money but it's going to be interesting to see what they do as the summer kind of progresses Quick note on Jed Spence, Seb. Did you enjoy his tweeting to Neil Warnock yesterday? Did you see this? I did. I didn't really know the backstory. So apparently the backstory is, and Nick will correct me if I'm wrong, apparently the backstory is that uh, Neil Warnock told him either that he wasn't very good. Neil Warnock replied this morning with an equally witty tweet uh, saying, well done, Jed, well done. Um, I did say you were either Premier League or non-league, I guess, which sounds like the sort of thing that Neil Warnock would say. So I, 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 the assumption I got was that um, uh, Jed Spence was, uh, was sending Neil Warnock a little picture to show him just how well he'd done on the basis that he imagined Neil Warnock thought he wasn't very good. So Jed Spence was on loan from Middlesbrough this season he was sent to Forest from Middlesbrough by Neil Warnock who was Middlesbrough manager at the time and I think it's fair to say that he didn't get on with um, with Warnock <laughs> and what I, a to, small be, to be fair I don't, think he, I don't think he got on with a lot of people at Middlesbrough there, there were the kind of various stories from people at Middlesbrough about you know how popular or otherwise Spence was in that in that dressing room. There was a lot of talk in January that Middlesbrough were going to recall him. A because he was obviously playing brilliantly for Forest, but B because they had this this kind of enormous player shortage at one stage. But the word was that you know people had words and said there's absolutely no chance he's coming back here. So. Yeah, it's, is he going to stay at Forest? Because I mean, I've sort of seen his name, you know, referenced at least in various transfer rumours with um, with uh, other Premier League teams as well. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's that's going to be really interesting. He certainly played well enough this season to attract higher caliber of club than Forest, possibly Tottenham, which who have been one of the teams mentioned, is maybe a little bit above his level. But you would say that though, because you don't want him to leave. Oh yeah, sorry. If anyone from uh, any Premier League scouting uh, team is listening, then he's terrible, and you should stay well clear of him. <laughs> Just one more thing, Nick, if you don't mind, and I'd love for you to come back at some point and talk more uh, in depth about Forest before um, before we see them play in the Premier League. I watched the game, and most of it was interesting enough to me as a as a neutral. But the thing that really struck struck me, and I think will stay with me, was uh, Joe Worrell's post match interview, in which he was, I mean, very emotional, obviously but seemed like a super guy. And, you know, he, he had this description of Forrest having been treated differently by uh, various different managers. He described them as, as being at times a bit like a, a whipped dog. But the way that he talked about Steve Cooper, uh, the, Forrest's current manager, he said he came in and killed them all with kindness. And he was such a nice guy that he just won everyone over. And the, 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 they, it was, they were like palpably honest and delightful descriptions of someone. It all sounded so lovely. Yeah, he's a he's a kind of journalist dream, Joe Worrell, because he's a he has the backstory of having been at Forest since he was a since he was a boy, he's a Forest fan, come through the system, and you know 
he was sent out on loan in I can't remember which season it was but uh, one of the Forest many Forest managers over the last uh, 10 years or so decided he wasn't good enough so sent him to Rangers for a season where he was he was excellent and he's been brilliant ever since really he's technically not the club captain Lewis Graben's the captain but he, he is the sort of you know leader on the field and he's you will always get a good line out of um, out of Joe Worrell, whoever interviews him. The, 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 there was a wonderful picture after the game of uh, Worrell, Ryan Yates, Brennan Johnson, and a couple of other players who are on the uh, who are on the bench as Jordan Smith, the goalkeeper, and Alex Mighton, who are all youth team products have come up um, through the ranks and produced by this production line that Gary Brazil, the academy manager, has. You know, I think I tot- I, I totted it up for a piece I did recently and sales from academy products in the time since Forest have last been in the Premier League is around 72 million which you know figures can't be uh, absolutely verified but we certainly made an awful lot of money and you know that they will continue to produce players and those players including Warrell are kind of the backbone of the team at the moment well Nick Miller the Millman uh, thank you very much for joining us um, we'll be delighted to have you back in the, at some point over the summer to discuss them in more depth but uh, we'll be moving on now do take care and farewell enjoy uh, your uh, victory well, that was Nick thank you to Nick Miller the Millman JJ you watched this game you've been preparing something on uh, Nottingham Forest for a while in anticipation of their uh, promotion what do you think about them do you, li- do you like them how do you feel like they're going to do next season I like them because they have this sort of history that I associate with watching football when I was watching it. I mean, they won the European Cup twice, sure. right? It's kind of, I can't think of any other clubs around Europe who have got that kind of success in them. Twice in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were pretty good back in the day. I like the way they play as well. So Steve Cooper came in, they had the worst start to a season in maybe like ever. I think it was like eight games or bottom of the, the table. Uh, I might be getting this a little bit wrong, but that's what they were. Cooper came in, changed I think it worst lot. start to a season ever is wrong because I'm pretty sure the team that had the worst start to the season ever were relegated. They, they, they were definitely the bottom of the season. It was like their, was like the their no, worst. No, no, no. Do you mean the worst start ever for a team that then was promoted? the first, after like eight games. Yeah, I was yeah. just questioning like your, uh, yeah. you know. As we know, I am always right. Wrong. So I am yeah. sort of along the ball here. Uh, but yeah, they play nice football. They've got um, Steve Cook came in in January, I think, and has been really important. The guy who was at Bournemouth before and helped marshal things there. Joe Worrell's very important. Scott McKenna from Aberdeen, mm. Scotland International, is doing very good. How much did they get him for? Uh, I think they bought him for about a total of five, but it's three plus add-ons, and I think right. Aberdeen get about a million of that. Again, I might not actually be right there. But uh, yeah, they play some nice football. They are very back to front very quickly. So you can see In it's- the transition. Yeah, so they don't need to keep the ball. They get they get forward up and like quickly. And, and Cooper was the guy who won the under-17s World Cup with England. Uh, really highly thought of. He's a Welshman. Mm. Yep. So he's gone against his country's will by winning that for England. Yeah, I do, don't know. I lived in do Wales. They, for, do they care about that? It's not. I lived in Wales for about seven years, and sure, there are some people that care about it, yeah. but you know the kind of people that would care about it if they lived here, or, you know. Mm. Yeah. It's the same kind of people. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It, it's yeah. not really a describer of most people. Yes. Yeah, they're decent. I think they need a lot of, um, like Nick was saying, I think they'll need to change the way they play in the Premier League. Mm. There'll be a lot of, I'd imagine there'll have to be a lot of defensive football and trying to hit people in the break, really trying to get to like 37 points to stay up. I, I don't know how they'd be able to do much more. Yeah. I was impressed by how they handled Huddersfield because obviously like with Huddersfield, um, you're worried about Silver Thomas in the break, obviously his set pieces, but in open play, like that was clearly the game plan. They went into it, Forrest had a lot of possession, and then whenever the ball was turned over, Huddersfield were pretty vertical and direct. I thought... Yeah, they were really pre- direct. Really direct. Well, they've been um, like that all season as well. Like yeah. they're, they're not they are not possession-based at all. And I think you can see in the goal difference that Nottingham Forest look like the better team, but Huddersfield tend to grind out results. They're very good set pieces, apparently. And they had a couple of nice ones in the first half, and a couple of really nice routines. But I was impressed by... Like, sometimes with playoff finals... Like a team's football can disintegrate a little bit because of the occasion. So um, if they don't feel comfortable immediately, then some of their play starts to break down. But I thought Forrest were patient with the ball. They play within their patterns and they kind of, they didn't create many chances, but there was an acceptance of the situation. They handled it really well. It wasn't the best game and we were talking during it and you got a bit bored um, initially. I actually just phased out then. I'm so sorry. Okay. <laughs> 
Can I say something that might interest you? Yes. Jack Colback, who used to be a midfielder for Newcastle, mm. plays his left wing back for them. Really? Yeah. Mm. Jed Spence is uh, our, wing back. what I can see has been their best player. There's the one I would think they'd need to keep because he'd be the one that could be Premier League level. Sure. Again, like just repeating things Nick said, but Joe Garner is really important in the mm. midfield. Uh, and Keenan Davis. ball winning was good. Yeah, well, uh, the, it was really good. That's what you get in that championship. The yeah. championship teams, I think, the championship's a weird league because it's all about who wins the battle. Yeah. It's rarely about the football. There's, there's been some exceptions like Leeds when they went up and uh, maybe Huddersfield when they were under um, Wagner. Yeah. Maybe that's sort of exceptions. But a lot of the time, I mean, Bournemouth maybe. There's a few exceptions. I'm not making a lot of sense here. But yeah, they're going to need a lot of uh, money put in. What I thought was also interesting about this game, the things that I thought were funny, you said it looked really slow, mm. but the pace of the game is really quick, I think, because they're putting the ball from goal to goal really quickly with very little control of what was going on to try and force situations. Mm. Um, but because they're not as good technically and because the game is so fast, uh, it looks like the game keeps breaking down and makes it slow and boring, even though it's actually really quick. You see it in the Scottish Premiership. Maybe just for some context for listeners, uh, I was texting JJ and Seb during the player final and saying, um, because I'd watched the Champions League final the night before, this game felt a little bit slow. And JJ instantly, as is his want, told me, no, that's not how you feel. You feel differently to that. And I'm going to explain to you how you feel now by uh, saying lots of things. And then I just ignored them, the text messages. I feel like there's there's some truth in there because you notice in that kind of game when there's a lot of pressure and when it is very quick, you notice the speed with which players make decisions. Mm. And we've gone from within less than 24 hours, a Champions League final full of some of the best players in the world to a a championship playoff final in which these are all really good players. It's just that there's them a in a frantic context and ask them to the make a decision, apply a bit of pressure, and you see a little bit of the uh, sure. few of the flaws. That's not a commentary on the on the standard of the team. Well, no, it's, it's just, also not intended as a criticism. No, it's no, just no, no, a reality. Mm-hmm. It's it's like if if I had to play in that kind of game and I had to perform any kind of role, I think I would just spend the entire match crying in the center circle because mm. of the pressure. Like it just looks terrifying. The purveyor of truth, my truth. Yes. Ivan Perisic is joining Spurs on a free. Is he? Is he actually happy? Is that actually happening? He uh, spent a little bit of time living at the Tottenham training ground over the weekend. In one living of the, there. Yeah. There's how a how a, long do you have to be somewhere to be living there? Well, he was. He's been because I feel staying. like if I went on holiday, indeed, I'm going to I'm going to Cambridge this weekend, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I'll be staying there for one night. Could I describe myself as living there for one night? I would say that you could. Yes. No, that's wrong though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> He's been staying in the Spurs training ground and right. he will complete his move. But uh, I came to the office this morning and I had a conversation with fellow Tottenham fan, producer Don, and we're both very happy. Yeah. Nice grizzled winner who's won everything. Well, let me ask um, you this though specifically. Yeah. Um, it sounds like he's there to play uh, in, in a wingback role, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He's 33 years old. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is it is it okay to be excited about a thirty? Tell me why it is okay to be excited about a thirty-three well, year old coming to play as a wing back role in a Conte team. Okay, sure. A couple of things. Um, firstly, uh, yes, he will probably play as a as a left sided wing back, but that is not the only place where he can play. Mm-hmm. So he could also play probably from the left in the Son Heung Min position, which yeah. takes a few minutes away from him. Also, I think there's a great value in. Someone like Perisic being added to the group, given that he's played for he's won titles in Italy and Germany, he got to the final of a World Cup, he's, he's won the Champions League. He is a a very very good player, regardless of how old he is. But also, he has been around some of the very best players in the game. And I think I said this to Don actually. I think Tottenham could do with a few more. Right, don't worry about going to Old Trafford. This lot aren't very good. We're going to go and beat them. Mm. Types in their dressing room mm. and. Every successful team has that type of person. Not necessarily a 33-year-old, but someone who has that kind of experience, someone who is trusted in certain situations and who isn't brittle emotionally. And that is Perisic, a very good player and has been for a very long time. Can you imagine what he was like in his prime? Even Perisic, just great player. Great Exciting. Player. I liked watching him in the, in the Euros particularly. So clever. He yeah. made James uh, Horncastle's team of the season in yeah. Serie A. I'm not surprised. Mm. A strange little um, anomaly there. So when uh, Antonio Conte got to Inter Milan, didn't really rate even Perisic as a, a wingback. Sent him off to Bayern Munich where, where he won everything <laughs> as a wingback yeah. and then came back. Yeah. Not as a wingback, but in that kind of area. And uh, yeah, so... Yeah. Conte has obviously changed his mind. Okay, yeah. well, it'll be fun to watch Ivan Perisic next uh, yeah. next season on the regular. Aston Villa have signed uh, Diego Carlos from Sevilla. JJ? Yes, he is a big, strong... 
centre back, Brazilian. He's twenty nine, which should in theory be like prime age for Aston Villa. And I, th- I don't, remember, I can't remember where I read this or, or saw it or whatever someone said. But I agree with the idea. Is that it's like Gerrard's trying to build a team right now to make Villa good right now, rather than trying to build something going forward. Yeah. Like if he's following the. I wonder if he's got plans. <laughs> well, this is the thing. It, it, it could be wise to get them up to the. If it works, it'll look good because they've got their team instantly improved. I mean, Mings is quite a decent defender, so you've got those two now they yeah. can play side by side. I'd imagine that's what they do rather than Consa, but maybe, maybe he wants to have options to play a three at times. Yep. He's, got, he's got the options now, basically. But this guy, so he's 29 years old, did really well uh, for Sevilla this season. Didn't make Dermot's team of the season that we did, but mm. he's... Uh, I think he's he's the, like, if you were to choose the best centre-back at Sevilla, it'd probably be Jules Conde. Mm-hmm. Um, but he will be the kind of the, the one that the very biggest teams in Europe go after. But he is the one that, uh, you know, Chelsea are apparently Yeah, because he, he, he? he's probably, he's the better footballer of the two. I see Diego Carlos as a little bit, not stopper, because that makes it sound a little bit old fashioned, but uh. I see him as a little bit more of a traditional defender, like physically super impressive. Like his fundamentals very good. Whereas Kunde, a bit more modern, but as a two, that was great. Like it really worked severe or were, had some injury problems, but were great for much of the season. Mm. Yeah. I think it's great signing for Villa. Yeah, yeah, but then this is the thing. So if, if it works now, then that's great. But if it ends up that they don't get some of the results they want, which is what's going to happen to Aston Villa because they're a mid-table team and they're trying to get above that and everyone yeah. above them has more money and better players already, then they're not building towards anything. Maybe you follow like, the Klopp model. You, you want to bring in players who are about 23, 24. So they come into their prime the time they get to that age. Uh, so ben, buying him now, it's a, I don't know, however many years, like Coutinho signed for like four years, is it? Mm-hmm. So he might be good for two of them. And then the natural decline that might happen when he reaches 32, mm-hmm. he's contracted for two more years, but that's how you get him in. Then Kamara's younger, that's a good signing. But this guy here, was he 29 now? He should be good until he's 33, 34. It should it make absolute sense, but then you've got to plan underneath it. So I guess that's what the thinking is, is make them good immediately, which is obviously why you buy new players. But... Is Gerard looking to try and build a club or is he trying to make them good so he can I think you, go somewhere else after? You don't really have a choice though, do you? Because if you're Villa and you want to make that step presumably up to Europa Conference League, Europa League football, mm-hmm. the problem you have with, I, I, I think Kamara is a really good player, but then the problem that you have is if he has a good 18 months, people are just somebody's take, People going take to, your shit. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas I suppose the advantage with someone like Diego Carlos is that because of his age and his profile, Coutinho is the same, that like you're going to get the best years and they're not going to be an object of affection for Man United, Man City, Liverpool, because it's it just doesn't quite fit their model. Can I um can I say this is similar to my my only football theory yeah. that I came up with myself? You have loads of football. Theories. No, no, this is just only the one, only serious one I've right, got, okay. which was about the three to four year Everton cycle under David Moyes. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but what David Moyes I thought was so good at, at Everton was growing the team uh, organically, but doing it across the course of like a three to normally four year cycle before key elements of that team would leave. And he was able to do that's You know why I think one of the reasons that Ferguson probably chose him as his replacement because he was able to do that two or three times and rebuild a team. But to get all of the right elements in place, judge the balance of it just so that everyone would kind of convene into their quality at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then you would have one opportunity for one season of every four to try to, to broach the kind of top five four. Everton, every third or fourth year, were always there or thereabouts because he managed that really, really well. Which maybe is the closer to what Steven Gerrard is trying to do here at Aston Villa instead of growing it more slowly. Maybe he thinks with the team we have now, with Tyrone Mings, for example, at the at the age that he is and other key players at the age that they are, maybe the best opportunity is going to be in one year or two years' time to try to get European football. So Probably, growing yeah. it over a longer period of time wouldn't make as much sense. I mean, the obvious thing he's doing is bringing in better players to make the team better. That's sure. the, Obviously, that's what the whole point of transfer transfers are mm. I was looking at what he did with Rangers he built that team I think really cleverly I'm not sure what the recruitment was how, like who did it and I know Michael Beale works really closely with him across a lot of things mostly tactically um, but the players he brought in were maybe this suits Scottish Premiership more is that there were characters real, real leaders people who um, you don't want to have to play against because they will happily slyly kick you on the side like Scott Arfield kind of like got Ryan Jack in who's a really good player playing as a six turned him into, I think he made him even better. So Kamara is going to be the new Ryan Jack in this sort of team. Mm. And then Carlos is just going to be a harder centre-back. Like, you don't want to play against those. Like, if ever you're playing Sunday League and you're up against some guy who is both massive and quite aggressive, sure. I don't want to play against Would you them. want to play against me? 
I'd be able to run faster than you, you'd be easy. No, I'm actually very fast. I'm I'm suspicious. I fast. played football with you, and I know that's not true. No, I never got up to full speed with, uh, with. Do you want a race? Yeah, I'll race you. I think I might win a race with JJ. You're How fast be- are you? I'm um, I'm alright. How fast though? Nine. You're nine fast. <laughs> what do you want me to say there? I'm ten. I'm ten fast. Filler, we're going to race. Filler, let's let's talk about Filler a bit more. I, I have only got my boots on today. I'll need to bring trainers at some point, but I will race you because I, I am deceptively quick. It's the long legs, yeah, and the desire to win. Mm-hmm. Do you want to race as well? No. No, Seb, Seb, I think we both beat Seb. What do you think of that? Uh, yeah. On no. what grounds? Just on the feeling, on a whim. I think I could, I'll definitely be faster than you. But would, would you think I could beat him? I don't know. He can't be that fast. I don't know when the last time you ran is, and so I don't know if you were just thinking you're fast because you remember what you were it, like five years ago. Every yeah, yeah I, haven't, I haven't been at top speed for for maybe fifteen years. <laughs> anyway, people are going to hate this. Uh, let's have a break. They are going to hate this. <laughs> yes, in the final stretch now. Don't worry, everyone. It's nearly over. Sadio Mane to leave Liverpool. What a sad, sad thing. I think it's the right thing. I think it's the right time. I think it also spares that kind of slightly uncomfortable moment where Luis Diaz becomes a more permanent member of the side. Mm. Not quite sure what to do with Sadio Mane. Uh, and also, what else is there for him to do? Yeah. He's achieved amazing things. He might yet win a... Probably not. He probably won't win the Ballon d'Or because Liverpool didn't win the Champions League, but uh, he should be in that conversation on the shortlist. He's been a wonderful player and time to go and do something different. German press seem convinced that he's going to Bayern Munich yeah. to fill the kind of the um, Robert Lewandowski hole in that side, which I don't think is a particularly attractive option. It but, doesn't seem um, completely certain yet, though, does it? No, no I'd imagine there'd be a Sadio Mane will still interest most of the very, very good teams in Europe. Real Madrid um, would be good for him. Real Madrid Playing the right side of that yeah, attack. Yeah, that would sure. be perfect. Yeah. yeah, add him alongside Benzema and uh, Vinicius. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it feels like the right time. It's just... Go and do something good while you're still in the prime of your career. Mm. Um, yeah. Before you reach the downslope, and he's still terrific. So yeah. okay. Well, best of luck to him. It's been yeah. a pleasure to watch him play over the last. Uh, I think I, I could make a case for him being one of the most underrated players in Premier League history, yeah. just because everyone knows he's really, really good. There are so many things he does which I don't think get quite enough recognition. Like he's really good in the air, which I agree. you wouldn't think of when you watched him. Well, also I think I've said this about Mane before, but when he was at Southampton and I saw him score lots and lots of lovely goals, I thought well, he's a good player. Yeah. I never thought he was Liverpool quality. Me neither. And then me when neither. he went to Liverpool, yeah, I thought, oh wow, he's a fantastic, he's a fantastic player. But I never thought he was one of the best players in the world, partly because he was stood next to Mohamed Salah, which makes it difficult to look good. But yeah, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're, I think he is massively underrated. Well, anyway, he's gone now. Uh, Rang- not, quite, not he's going. He's going. He hasn't gone. I mean, he's okay. Uh, yeah, you know, just it was just a throwaway. I ending, know, man. but you got to be careful. I mean, got to be careful. You do have to be careful. Yeah, got to be careful. Uh, Rangnick is not going to be a consultant. No, he's just gone. You don't have to be careful. He's gone. Yeah. Rangnick's gone. Yeah. He's gone. Yeah. You just be lace of air, just you, just, you know. You don't have to be careful no, there. Don't be careful. Because R- Rangnick wasn't. Be reckless. Rangnick was. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's interesting. It, an end to a saga, which grew boring quite quickly, I would say. Um, I liked at the beginning when it felt like a new world was approaching. Do you remember nine months ago when there were sort of thoughts? Suddenly I thought, oh, maybe Man United will be really smart for 10 years. Maybe they'll do a Liverpool or they'll do a, you know, I don't know, another smart team. And all of those things that they do now, we'll have forgotten about rear view mirror stuff. We'll go, oh, do you remember when Man United made this silly decision? But now I realise <laughs> that was a stupid thought. <laughs> and I'm the fool, you know? It's just an amazing thing. That makes it sound a lot like I'm saying that Rangnick was the solution answer to all of those problems. That's not what I'm saying. But, um, you know, it's, it's been an interesting nine months, let's put it that way. It, you finish second, you spend your summer signing Jaden Sancho, Rafael Varane and Cristiano Ronaldo, and you get considerably worse. Yeah. There's a lot to come over the summer. They, they were not careful. No. No. They weren't careful. I think it's really funny. Yeah. It is quite funny. Yeah. Yeah. I bet he finds it funny as well. Rangnick? Yeah. It's like they phoned me up, got me in to do this thing, then didn't actually ask me to do anything that I was meant to do. Now I've got the Austria job. <laughs> I've got the Austria job. Like, am I, am I a consultant? 
And I wonder, it, it, it sounds like that club's been run by, I think it's last week, right, like, by the Bluth family. It just sounds weird. Yeah. yeah. I like it. I like it. I also like the idea, I, listen, Eric Ten Hag is, is there now and, and obviously seems like a very smart and competent coach, but I like the idea that, um, you know, you try to convince a friend to do something for a long time and when they finally do it they have one bad experience and then they decide that everything related to that thing is yeah, not good yeah, anymore yeah. it feels a bit like that it feels like Manchester United you, there's, a, there's a kind of alternate fantasy world in my head where they've sort of thought they made one smart decision which backfired and therefore we can't do anything oh, yeah. smart ever again uh, listen There'll be all sorts of post-mortems on whether or not it was a smart decision. I like I liked the the concept of the decision. I thought it was I admire the fact that they tried to take a slightly different approach than they had done in the past and uh, I think it very clearly hasn't worked out and there could be numerous reasons for that from both sides. Again, I want to make it clear. I'm not just defending Ralph Rangnick as a, as a person who's done all the right things. I think that's probably not the case. But I admire the fact that there was at least a willingness to do something a bit different. It was like a smart decision made by people who didn't understand what might be smart. Sure. You, you are right about Rangnick because there is clearly a share of the blame on his side too. Because if you read some of the, the Athletic's reporting on some of the things that went on at Man United over the past few months, I don't think he put his very best foot forward there. No, and also I think, I think if anything, rather than the consultant thing, the interim thing is probably the element that has uh, complicated it the most because I read that whilst uh, he came in in those initial few weeks, tried to sort of, you know, plant his idea, his coaching ideas within the team, when they didn't work, he just abandoned them because he thought, well, I'm only going to be here for six months. A new permanent coach is going to come in and make some serious changes. There's not really any point in me spending the next four to five months drilling my ideas no. into a team if they're going to change. So I'll just try to pick the best team and play the players the way that maybe they want to play. Uh, and the speed with which he seemed to abandon that, that is was, either like suggestive yeah. of him not really wanting to carry on doing that, which is possible, right? These are all uh, my theories, by the way, not things I know. Maybe the player's not really responding that well to it, which is, again, possible. Or maybe, you know, the whole situation just being not fun. I think he's just gone and gone, I don't think I have the time to do this and I don't care enough. Right. So I'm just going to... How much effort I'm is gonna it really I'm going to let Bruno Fernandes do whatever he wants in. to do. Like, I'm yeah. not going to bother arguing with this guy. Yeah. Here's Ronaldo. I'm not going to win a battle with this guy. Just let him... The thing I'll remember about this Man United season is just how much of it was briefed to the press mm. and how much commentary there was from the dressing room itself. And it was a kind of... And no, from no, Rangnick. And from Rangnick, but it was also like just how much noise there was. Mm. Uh, that was kind of... I described something not particularly good. Uh, part of that is because he's quite disassociated from the club even when he was there. Yeah, so he was yeah. just sort of going, this is nonsense, by the way. Uh, this isn't right. This isn't right. We yeah. need to fix this. Do you mean from players, though? Yeah, I, I just think there was an awful lot of conversation about training methods, about what players thought about certain things. There's probably a three-week news cycle about what May United players thought of Harry Maguire's captaincy. Yeah. That's quite weird. Yeah. I thought the Maguire episode itself was a little bit overblown and very kind of melodramatic in that Man United sort of way. Sure. Like he became, he had a bad season, but he became the very worst player who had ever played professional football. Yeah. Which I, I got kind of bored of that pretty quickly. Well, there was a tone to Man United which was really unattractive this season, I think. Mm. Well, he's hoping for some uh, something better from next season. Or um, worse. Or worse. Is there anything else that anyone would like to say before we finish? JJ, I know you're very busy, so uh, we probably are, want to wrap you, up now. Are you nervous about Scotland's World Cup qualifying playoff? Oh, yeah, when is that? Against Ukraine, Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. Do and then think, if they win, it's Wales, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you will beat Ukraine? Um, it's very difficult to work out because Ukraine have a little bit more to play for. <laughs> he's than very just confident. That game. Like, off the podcast, he's extremely confident. Yeah, I don't know. It's difficult to know what's going to go on with that game because they're both quite evenly matched. Ukraine, like Scotland have some good players and it's a good team, but they have to rely on scoring on the break most of the time or from a corner. Yeah. Or some massive guy smashes it in with his head. Grant sure. Hanley. Yeah. Scott McKenna, that's what's going to happen. I think Tierney's injured for it, which is a shame because he's one of the mm. best players we'll have. Yes. Uh, and we'll stick with the same system, which is the three central defenders with Captain Robbo doing his runny tricks up and sure. down the line yeah don't know who's going to play up front uh, Ukraine has Zinchenko he's nice Yarmolenko yeah. a couple of boys who's got Everton 
he was decent towards the end of the season. Oh, Mikolenko. Mikolenko, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have some decent players, Ukraine. And uh, <coughs> yes, obviously, they'll be a bit fired up. Yeah. Understandably. Well, speaking of that, I did watch an advert for this game on, I can't remember if it was the BBC or Sky, I think it might have been Sky, but it's one of those funny adverts where <laughs> they sort of, you know, they've got the person doing the voiceover and at the, the end of it, oh, it's a serious montage of, of, of Scottish footballers and uh, a reference of when the game is being played, two games to the World Cup and the voiceover ends with a, come on, Scotland! You know, kind of with as much gusto as I've just said it now. I often think like football fandom or uh, or chanting or things that are like emotive in nature, and that's the only reason they exist, when they become a commodity or they are used in a corporate environment or on such a thing as an advert, they don't make any sense. They're completely out of context. You can't say, come on, X team in an advert. It doesn't work like that. No one would ever say, you only say that when you are at a game or you're watching at home and you are emotionally invested and something compels you to shout something meaningless because no one will hit they can't hear you do you know what i mean it's 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 an irrational emotional this response is- to something no no hold on i'm still going and i i, I fully support it i, I get it I, I, it's exciting it's one of the things that's exciting about football but when you transplant that into a corporate environment to an advert, it just, it doesn't work. And it, it does a disservice to the, neither of you care what I'm saying. I you you know when like one of us will be talking to him and he'll say something like, oh, I've zoned out. That's what's happening inside his mind whilst we're talking. I just don't really know the point. And you've never mentioned this before, so I don't believe you're actually angry about it. I think I'm, you're I don't, trying I find to myself, falsify no, I your, find that's the, your oh, anger. Dad, you're suggesting <laughs> that I'm... <laughs> Inflating my own anger. Just trying to make this constructive podcast interesting. He's trying to create a narrative to make this podcast interesting. That's for really you. not what I'm doing. He that is. stuff annoys me. Joe, also, um, JJ's super busy. So maybe. Oh, I forgot you are busy. Oh, yeah. So, in, uh, yeah. in summary, uh, I'd obviously love it if Scotland were to win to get through to the World Cup if we were to not lose to Gareth Bale. Mm. But um, it would be quite nice if Ukraine won because, yeah. you know, I wouldn't mind if they win. Hmm? He'll mind a bit. He'll mind a bit. <laughs> I do at the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I better forget all my... Uh... Again, making something up for the narrative of the podcast. Oh, yeah, let's finish the podcast. Imagine. Um, I want to go home. Yeah. I'm more, I'm more annoyed about your suggestion than I am about that thing, but Good. still. Then I have achieved my goal. podcast is still going. Let's still finish going. it. Let's finish it. I think Joe's going to hold on to that for a little bit of time. I'm going to hold on to that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hold on to that, yeah. Still uh, going. I'm going to make you pay. Personal and working relationship is often uh, mm, personal heavily. relationship. Gone uh, oh, that's gone. That's that. gone now. It's mostly to. insults. Mm. On goes the podcast. Seb is on holiday. That's on true. On. Yeah. Forever and ever. Yeah. Shall we finish? Um. Let's keep going. <laughs> I think we should keep going. Yeah. May I leave? No. <laughs> <laughs> Seb Staffer-Blaw, uh, thank you very much. Do go on a deserved holiday now. Yeah? Hooray. Just be thankful that I haven't fired you, haven't you as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, JJ Ball, watch your step. <laughs> <laughs> watch yourself. And thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the TIFO football podcast. We'll be back next week. Introducing a new person, I think. Or maybe on not uh, next week's episode, maybe the one afterwards. We, we might have a news of a new person, though. We'll have news of a new person. Well, there is a new person. That's the news of a new person. Yeah, but we haven't revealed the new person I to mean, all the people yet. Yeah, yeah, we'll peel the new person's skin off. Reveal the flesh. <laughs> Skeleton boy. Uh, anyway, come back next uh, uh, Tuesday for more. And until then, take care and see you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>